Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. And joining me from Los Angeles is somebody I've known for 20 years. But today is the first time I'm aware I can call him a best-selling author, Clutch Sports CEO, Rich Paul. Hello, Rich. Hello, Brian. How's it going? Hey, man. Congratulations. I just heard about the bestseller thing. Um, huge accomplishment. I know yeah. you've done a lot of things in your career. We'll do a lot more, but but you know what? Cool. Um, I, it, it, you know, I don't celebrate a lot of things, Brian. I don't celebrate much at all it, ex- externally. Um, but I'm starting to lean a little bit more, and this was something that I never even dreamed of being a, a best-selling author and or, or ever thought wasn't something that, that I actually sought out to do. But you know, share my story. Um, I guess you know people really resonated with it and aligned with it. I'm, the feedback has been insane in terms of the amount of people. You know what happened to me yesterday? I was leaving, I had to do another podcast and I was leaving the set and a guy on the set gave me a picture of my mother when she was in the 10th grade. How'd that happen? With his mother. He's from St. Louis. His mother found out that my mother was who she was. Peaches. Peaches. Peaches, yeah. Yeah, her real name is Minerva for Peaches. And he was like, man, I told my mom that I was that we was going to be interviewing you. And she sent me this. I, Let me know what you think. And when I opened it up, it was like his mother, my mother's best friend, Tony, her sister, another friend and my mother. And on the back, it had like the crew and it had all their names. And it said Vashon High School, 10th grade, which was insane. Wow. She went to Vashon High School. That's a basketball power. Yeah. My mother went to Vashon. You know, uh, LeBron played against Fashan when he was in high school. Yeah, Mac, you know, my brother, he played against Mac Arthur Taylor, who Mac Arthur Taylor is my mother's best friend's son. Yeah, LeBron played against Fashan, and there was a guy from Fashan who was going to Missouri. And I think LeBron was a sophomore, and this guy was going to Missouri. I remember his name, but I'm not going to say it. And um, LeBron fouled him out in three quarters. It was just the beginning. I remember who that is, too. Yes. He didn't yes. make it, but that's okay. I'm sure he was a great player. Um, so uh, five years ago, give or take, you were telling me, we were talking one day and you're like, I want to write a book. Yeah. And I thought it was a bad idea. I don't remember how, I think I told you, I don't think it's a good idea because I'd, re- I'd read several books by agents, although way later in their careers. And even though I enjoyed those books, and again, I won't say who they are. I didn't think it behooved the agent. And so- I don't know, maybe six or eight months ago when I heard you were doing this book, I was like, man, Rich, I don't know. Um, And then when I heard, before I read the book, uh, it was like, yeah, he's going to meet LeBron on the last page of the book. I was like, aha, I get it. And the book, by the way, is Lucky Me. I got it right here. If you're watching on YouTube. by the way, this picture of you, Rich, how old are you in this picture? You're shirtless. Yeah. What's the story with this picture? Uh, so I'm probably about 13, 14 years old in that picture. And the, that picture is very significant because that age is right at the crossroads of a young man in my community where there's a fork in the road. And you either go, you're either all the way left or for me, I was a little, you know, veering off, you know, like the on ramp type of thing or the off ramp. I was, I wasn't all the way right, but I was more right than left for sure. And um, there was a lady, we call her picture lady, but she's actually, um, she she used to take these Polaroids and she would walk around and she would take pictures of all the guys on the block. And if you had a car, I would get pictures of my bike and, you know, because I was a young kid, I would get pictures of my bike that I paid two grand for when I was in like the eighth grade. Um, and um, yeah, and I was thinking about this the other day and I, I, th- I think I said this on Breakfast Club. I was like, the difference between someone that goes to Stanford and their idea and someone that's in the Glenville community 
and their idea is options, opportunity, and having someone that's willing to give you a push. That lady was Instagram before Instagram. And she actually sent me a message when they heard it on Breakfast Club. They sent me a message and they said, um, they showed me a picture of her and she was doing well because prior to that, she was having the same struggle as my mother. But that was her hustle, was the pictures. And they showed me a picture. So of she sold the pictures? She, she took a picture and she sold, sold them? Yeah. There was five dollars a picture. Well, yeah. that you got your you got your five dollars out of this one. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, and man, it was just so good to hear that she was doing so well. And then her son sent me a message through somebody and said, "Man, I appreciate you. That's my mom you're talking about." And I've known this guy. He's from a different neighborhood, but we've known each other for years. It would never even know that was his mother. And I've well, always treated her with respect. Well, the thing to me is like it's obviously a a, a a gritty picture, but you were always so proud of your fashion, which you talk about a lot. And your yeah. fashion it ended up being a really important part of your life. But you're not wearing any clothes in this picture, Rich. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you got to have I some. Am. The significance of those Tommy boxers were fashion. To have on those okay. Tommy boxers was a fashion thing. And today, you know, me and Tommy talk and we spend time i went to queen just to see his whole archive and we talked about doing a collab together and stuff like that prior to and just that whole juxtaposition brian of a kid who in that picture was doing everything and to 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 wear the clothes and buy the clothes and you know taking chances and you know all type of stuff and then now today i'm sitting here you know having conversations with tommy himself it's just life man you know yeah, I mean, I've heard you talk about that before where you know, you bought all the Tommy Hilfiger stuff when you were younger and now you're you're you know the man. But I actually think from my perspective one of the more interesting things that's happened to you is that you were really into the throwback jerseys. Um and you were working with a guy and I forget the guy's name who owned the store in Atlanta. You were flying Andy down Hyde. to Atlanta and Andy Hyde. Yeah. You you were you were basically you know turnkey. You were buying his stuff uh, and then reselling it out of your car, and you were selling tons of it. I remember. I think you yes. wrote in the book ten to fifteen grand a month in the yeah. late nineties. Like that was huge, late, real, early, real money. Late, That's real money now, yes. sir. That's yes, real money now. Yeah. And um, you wanted to invest in his store. I did. And, yeah. And he wouldn't let you invest because you had money. I don't, I know I, I'm going to kind of jump around here. I really, the book is uh, just trust me. <laughs> um, you had money because of your, you know, you were hustling. You were selling. It was drugs a collective things. of things. It was all yeah. But you had money. It wasn't yes. like you had already bought a house, you yes. know? So uh, by the way, one of the most impressive things in here uh, is the fact that you bought a house when you were 19 and you got a loan. Yeah. I know that that's it was a first time buyers program that an older gentleman told me about. And I had a bank account, you know, and I would make sure I was putting my money in my bank account and, and things like that. Every time I hit the number, I put, you know, you can cash a lottery ticket and it goes into your bank account and stuff like that. It was a first time buyers program through fifth third. Yeah. I still own that house, by the way. Is that right? Huh. Yeah. So you bought it. So to, so if if I was hearing that story when I was nineteen, I'd be like, okay, he's got a house, and I'd have moved on. At forty five, because I've bought some houses. Yeah. The idea that you could buy a house when you were nineteen—that's something. All right. Anyway, so you had some money. You wanted to invest. The guy wouldn't let you invest. He he you, he wanted you to work for him. But the reason yeah. I, what I back to Hillfigure, like a year or so ago, I don't know how recently you invested in Mitchell and Ness. So yeah, you are, and you were, you know, a lot. Of, it was part of a number of NBA type folks. I know LeBron, KD, yeah, other folks. Um, and Mitchell Ness is owned by Fanatics, but I, you now are an owner, a part owner of the Mitchell and Ness of the the product that you were selling twenty years ago. And to me, that has to be fulfilling. That it's you only are now right, part though, right? It's, it's, well, it's I, it's yeah. it's only right, but it's not something that you get to see. It's not something that you get to see, no. But when that opportunity came, I'm saying it's only right because if you think about it, 
everybody out of everybody in that group of ownership at Mitchell and Ness, the authenticity and the one with the most knowledge and information and relatability, the whole nine, it's right here. It's right here. You know, I remember Jared Jack was at um Jared Jack was at Nike Camp. I went to Nike Camp. Maybe it was Jerry Jack's brother. But anyway, everywhere we went, I would take my jerseys with me. And this after I met LeBron, after we started hanging, whether it's Chicago, I got my jerseys outside of hoops. When Antoine Walker and Jawan Howard and those guys would be up there playing pickups. Hoops gym was uh, Tim Grover's gym in outside Chicago where Jordan used to play and where LeBron met Jordan when he was like 16. Yeah. And so we would go up there. And, man, when they come out, I had my, my jerseys. And and when we went to the Nike camp, on that street, on that like street right outside Hoops Gym, yeah, just parked the your West car Loop. right there. West yeah. Loop. I'm inside the parking lot. I'm inside the parking lot. You know, West Loop. Yeah. Whatever car we took, my man G had a cat. But whatever car we took, I had my jerseys in the trunk, one thousand percent. I went nowhere. Like Linus had his blanket on Charlie Brown. <laughs> I went nowhere without my jerseys, and and because I had the flexibility, I was DoorDash before DoorDash. Right. But with yeah, and also you couldn't Amazon, you couldn't go to Amazon and get a Warren Moon jersey or no. a Sun Cell or whatever. No, you couldn't. And the key to me though, selling my jerseys was this. Whatever the price tag said is what I sold it for. Where at that time the malls, because it was a monopoly, nobody else had them, they could take a three hundred dollar jersey and sell it for five hundred because you couldn't go on Amazon and get nothing. And where else are you going to get it from? So right. they had to, supply and demand. I'm the only one that you can get it from, especially in Cleveland. And you know what the, the bigger issue was? I got called on by a guy called Mitchell Ness and said, hey, Rich is shortstopping me because he can hang out in the mall and shortstop people from by, which I really <laughs> wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. But I had I had Browns players, I had Indians players, I had, I, you know, I mean Guardians today, but back then it was Indians. Yeah, yeah. But I had yeah, and I did the same thing. And there's a guy when we was in Chicago, I used to go to the Nike Town every day. I went to Nike Town every day. We stayed in Chicago, and I went every day. So I, that was just I was just sick in the head with this stuff. And I met this kid named Terry, and me and Terry got cool. And we ended up trading jerseys one time. And so he said, man, every time you come in, you got a new jersey on. And I said, yeah, what's up? He said, man, where are you getting all these jerseys from? I said, I sell them. I have them. Like, I'm, I got them. And he couldn't believe it. So when he got off work, he came to see me. And I showed him. He was like, oh, my God. He was like, man, how much is that? I was like, it's 300 He was like, man, they selling that jersey for 500 up at Tony's. I didn't know what Tony's was. Right. He was like, will you go up there with me? Because I wanted, want you to see this. He took me to the north side of Chicago. I had never been to a place called Tony's. And I go in and got the jerseys hung up. And he was like, my man got these jerseys for 300. Y'all sell them. For and they couldn't believe it. And I had stuff that didn't come, that they didn't even have. They wasn't getting the stuff I had for another month or so. Because I get, I'm pick, I get to pick the litter. It was, it was right. You would, was, you would fly down to Atlanta. You would work for Andy. And then like, you would be able to buy what he had at cost, essentially. At cost, on the spot, like 40% off. But then it got to the point to where, man, Andy was so close. He would just, I had him ship it. I used to have people take me to the post office. I would get a money order. Overnight, the money order, next day air for my what I want. And then I would pick it out over the phone. And then he would ship it to me next day air. I would include the next day air fee for him to ship it back to me. Yeah. <laughs> So what were the two jerseys that LeBron, uh, quote unquote, got in trouble for? One of the most I don't, ridiculous you know things. He, I, don't I know one the, was Wes Unseld, but I don't remember what the other one was. But he, but but the thing about it is he he was doing that for someone else. He had all the jerseys. Yeah, that's the the, yeah. the, J, the I think it was the, the if you look at the 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 Adidas camp, the ABCD camp in T-Neck, he had on a. A, a Rams number twelve. I want to say the guy's name is James Harris, quarterback. Um, so yeah, so uh, in the summer of his junior senior year, he went to the Adidas ABCD camp in New Jersey, 
And we he left was, Nike, went to Adidas. Right. So yeah, this is my one of my this is a great story. So this is right before LeBron's gonna sign his shoe deal, or a year before he signed his shoe deal. Year before he yes. broke he broke his wrist in Chicago. Got, I was with he got him. undercut. It's probably the worst injury of his career, right? Knock on wood. At the Mac, yeah, that was at the Mac Irving tournament. That was at Julian High School. He got undercut going on a dunk, broke his wrist. So he couldn't play in the summer tournament. So he went to the Nike camp in Indianapolis and did a press conference wearing Adidas shoes. And then you got, I don't remember which was first. And then he went to Adidas and wore Air Force Ones. (laughs) That's great. I loved it. Because the jersey he wore, it wouldn't have looked right if he wore a shoe that had all the colors of the jersey in it. So he just wore a white Air Force One. But he had and every you were, jersey. I made were sure you, and you were jersey. already at that point, were you helping him with style at that point? Yeah. Okay. All I right, I'm all over the place. All right, yeah, okay, I'm all, all over the place. Don't all right, so 20 years ago, anyway, I I remember, Rich, You, I remember you were in the first TV commercial LeBron ever did. The choke. Which was, which was for Sprite. Which is a great commercial, even to this day. Oh, the neck All the LeBron yes. commercials is in the top ten. You can tell them what happened in the commercial. You were in the commercial. Yeah, I was. That was the neck crack commercial. It was all on the couch, and you had to do the whole, you know. And it was like a a spoof, almost like a neck crack, but it ended up being the Sprite bottle, which was pretty cool. Um, right. And that commercial ran and ran and ran. And at that time, you know, I was just still trying to figure things out. I hadn't had a role at all. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. So you that basically, I just saw you as a guy who LeBron trusted and was with. I mean, I I didn't know what you did. I didn't you do some modeling? Didn't you, true or false? You modeled for for Rockaware Jay Z. Yes, that was in two thousand and seven. What was, was oh October. that was I thought that was like two thousand and four. So no, 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 it. that was October two thousand six. We was in Africa. And that, that campaign came out in the Vibe magazine in 2007 when All-Star Weekend was in Vegas. Okay. It came out that weekend because everybody was getting it in the airport and they would open up the Vibe magazine and boom, there I am. They're like, what the hell? You know? People are like, Rich is modeling. All yeah. right. So anyway, um, two things happened when you, be, when you decided to become an agent. Two uh-huh. things happened where I was like, okay, this this guy might make it, which you have made it, breaking news. Um, one was the first game LeBron was gone from Cleveland, the beginning of the, the low period for, for Cleveland. Uh-huh. You were at the game. I was at the home even though, Even though like anybody with LeBron was generally persona non grata, there you came to the game yes and they won i think they won that game like they beat the lakers or something the Cavs. it was a home opener i don't know if they it was i don't know if it was the lakers in the home opener they i think they played we have to look it up i, uh, I thought they won anyway that that told me a lot also the fact that when lebron left to go to miami you were the one who called Dan Gilbert to, to tell him. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet that I'll bet that was a fun phone call. Well, you know, fun or not, it was the right thing to do for me. Right. That, like, because I'm just someone integrity matters, you know. And, and so despite how someone may feel or whatnot, I think it was I thought it was important to for him not to hear it on TV. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, Grand Salami's web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. 
and starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Okay, so the second um, thing that happened was when the Heat lost in the finals to the Mavericks in the moments after the game. I don't know if you remember this. In the moments after the game, uh, this is like the lowest point of LeBron's career at that moment. Um, the Heat are devastated. They've let this final slip through their hands. LeBron, frankly, has played very poorly, not necessarily in that game six, but certainly in the couple of games before that. Um, and I ran into you and um, we had a conversation and I don't remember exactly what you said, but basically um, you had a, a very good handle on the situation. Like you totally got that this was a setback, but it's not the end of the world and we're going to be better from this. And that was within seven minutes after the end of the game when emotions would be, would be flying. And this is laughable now because I know how you operate. I know that you're all business. And this is one of the things I would tell people about you. I may even have said this on this podcast before is that no matter what you want to say about rich, he is a businessman. And so this book, this is where I'm getting to, is where I can kind of understand where that comes from. Um, and that's why I think, that's why I didn't understand when I said to you, don't write this book, because I thought it would hurt you more than it would help you. Um, and then I read it and I go, okay, now I get it. You know, you tell a story, you know, I'm thinking that you're recovering from a low moment with dignity and, and, and integrity and i realize in reading this book that it wasn't in the top thousand and like you no. tell a story about this guy you knew cactus i would she would tell the story about cactus real quick yeah uh, so my yeah my friend cactus who and I, and I tell this story because i want kids to understand perspective and what we struggle with as young black men so cactus is my friend we grew up on the street next to each other i grew up on edmonton he grew up on woodside on the east side of Cleveland in the Glenville community. This particular time, we we and we've gambled a thousand times, but this particular time I win, but it's a different type of win, and Cactus has a different type of energy about me winning. Now, a lot of times when situations like this happen, people don't know how to communicate what they're actually feeling. How old are you at this time? I'm a sophomore. Because I know exactly what I had. I know exactly what I had on. Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a sophomore, okay. maybe my junior year, because I had on the Griffies, black Griffies and, and Tommy uh, sweatpants. But what happened was, um, for this particular time, this may have been all the money that Cactus had, whereas in other times, it may have been, because you never know what's happening in somebody's life during the course of a day. So anyway... I'm getting a different energy from him. And oftentimes when things take place, it's because someone is reluctant to actually communicate to you how they feel because they are, they are scared of being judged. And in the black community, we do so much judging of one another that you don't want to be embarrassed by something. So it, it stops you from communicating in a way that you actually should. So in this scenario, I was I can feel it. My spidey senses go up. And so now I have to get to in position to where I can protect myself. Right. I do this and he and I have a conversation. But now this conversation where it should have came from was just like, look, man, bro, that was all the tea in China for me. Look out for me, man. I'll get back with you. I would have had no problem. But now I have to have a conversation also while exuding that you got to respect me as well because, you know, that's just how it was in the neighborhood. And so we have that conversation. 
And we actually got past that and was really friends. And the, the thing about it is, in that moment... But he was going to rob you. Yeah, no, for sure. In that moment, he had to do what he had to do in that moment for him, right? That's just how it was. For me, I had to do what I had to do by better positioning myself, having an understanding that this is not who he is per se, especially not towards me. But in this moment, he has to do what he has to do because I don't know what's behind the wall of life for him. And this is important. This is important right now. So I positioned myself to where it prevented him from doing something that he probably would have regretted later. Because this is the same guy on this day, he would have had to do this. But on any other day, if me and if me and him were together and we had an issue, we we lock it in. We, we you know, we're standing back our, with our backs to each other against anything that's in front of us because we was from the same neighborhood. But that's how the neighborhood is. Today, you can all be together. And tomorrow, someone may have to do something that they regretted doing. But in that moment, they felt they had to do it. All because they lack communication skills and they do not want to be judged. So I had to position it to where I can make him feel like, look, man, I'm not going to judge you. Just tell me the real. This between me and you. And, it's, and, it's, and it, it really stayed between him and I until the book came out. And I didn't. Well, but he, he was going to he, you, he, you took all of his money. He was going to rob you and do no do who knows what. Yeah. When, when you parted ways, you you lent him money back. Yes. And later on, he went to jail for. He's in jail now for a murder. Yeah. Right. OK. So and that was so the situation. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So the capabilities was there, you know. And then while he was in jail, you paid for his child to go to school. One day I had a, got a call and it was like, you know, this kid needs some, his, you know, son needs some school clothes or whatever. And that's my man. Like, yeah, cool. No problem. Like, you know, because I understand people. So yeah. like, this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about how you're handling tough situations and how you're handling. And I mean, I'm, look, I'm from Akron. I know what it means to be from Glen, or at least I know the concept of what it means to be from Glenville. Yeah. I don't know what it's like every day. I don't pretend to know that, yeah. but I have a general idea of what it's like. I knew that we were never supposed to go to St. Clair, East St. Clair. No way. Yeah. Uh, and you would have probably told me, yeah, don't come around. I would um, tell you that today. Right. <laughs> so I'm just saying, though, that like that interaction with that guy where it could have gone sideways, that was a negotiation that you were yes. having in your age 16, 17. And here I am like watching you work negotiations 15, 20 years later that I'm saying, oh, OK, he's handling this with a lot of business sense and a lot of um, uh, experience. But really, and that's what this book taught me, is that you'd been doing that for a long time. A very long and, time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you used to say to me, you used to complain to me sometimes, like, look, I'm getting treated a certain way by the media, by a team, by whatever, by the league, whatever. And it's just because I'm me if this was such and such else. And like, I, I agreed with you to a certain extent, but I also didn't fully understand it until, until one thing happened, Rich. And that was that the NCAA put in a rule that said you had to have a degree to be an, what was the rule? Um, yeah, you had to have a degree to represent guys that were, that were going to test the water. For, okay. For, uh, yeah. yeah. Which is most guys. You're not representing too many lottery picks who were played four years of college. Um, and that was absolutely a Rich Paul. Uh, yeah. It was targeted at Rich Paul for sure. So when you heard that, me for sure, yeah. when you heard that, what did you do? What did you think and what did you do? At first, I was just like, whatever. But then when it dawned on me, I'm like, now nah, that's bullshit. So, I, I, you know, I, that's when I wrote the op-ed because I'm like, okay, as much as it's about me, it's not about me per se in terms of them being able to hurt me because I can navigate around anything, right? That's whatever. But it's about the people coming behind me and the trail I'm blazing should supposed to make it easier for the next person, despite what color, what gender, what background you come from it's a you know you can be defined by your business card or your business card to define you 
there's a lot of entitled people in our business. There's a lot of people in our business with positions that are assholes, that are spoiled, that are that does things with malice and don't really care about the, the, the player they represent or their families. And, they, and we know this. It's all part of our industry. But then there are some people that are a little bit different. Not many, but there are. But the ones coming up, especially the ones that aspire to be in the business because they look at me as an example, this is all they know because this is all I exude in hopes of changing the landscape of the business. Because prior to, most agents knew what? The family lacked financial stability. They perceived them as dummies all the way through from mom, dad, grandmother, down to player, down to siblings, et cetera. This wasn't just with basketball players. This is with generally all black talents, this, yes. entertainers, yes. whatever. This was, right. you know. And the person coming through the door alongside the athlete was perceived as entourage, hanger on, uh, all those things. And this is what makes me so upset now when these guys next to the athlete still does these same low level thought process type of moves about the bag. Like it's so idiotic to still be stuck in the same place to where, yeah, you can have a bag all you want, but the day that bag get a hole in it, in the bottom of it, then what you got, you got nothing. How about the positioning? How about the perception that increases the positioning and the cap and building the capabilities to enhance the positioning, and then that positioning allows you to have some decision-making power. This is the problem. The problem is, while you've been very successful and continue to be very successful, there are many others who either are trying to follow in your footsteps or came before you where it didn't go well. And so the NCAA, with a straight face, or whoever, or whether it's a team or whoever, can say, well, they're just trying to protect the player by putting in a rule that's, like this. That's BS because we know this for a fact. In our industry, you can basically tell, okay, if the kid goes to this school, they're going to this representation. Why you didn't stop that? That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, nowadays you see guys who are, there's 15, 16 year olds who have agents already. I mean, there's a, you know, I know that you've. NIL, you know, NIL is really, it's, it's, NIL is necessary, but it needs to be controlled, if that makes sense. Okay, I don't want to go down that path. I want to read something that you wrote here. This is uh, probably one of the most interesting lines in your book that I read. I wrote it down immediately. My business today, the agent business, player representation business, has refs and rules that no integrity or honor, and definitely none of the consequences I grew up with. I think it's one of the most important sentences. I thought you could expand on that, what you mean by that. Yeah, I grew up in an environment to where we played a game with no refs and consequences. Today, there's refs and rules. You got the MBPA, you got the league, you got, you know, agents that have bosses or whatnot that they report to, et cetera. I mean, even the but media yet, to a certain extent can be a backstop. Media as well. And, and nowadays it's even worse with media because everyone has a voice. Everybody's media today. And so all right. it takes, what, like for me, what most agents do, they 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 leak something to, um, you know, a guy who has a podcast or a platform and tell them to bash Rich Paul and they do it, but, it, you know, whatever. But yeah, but there's no integrity because most of these agents today, as and especially from, as it pertains to me, the one thing they do in this, I, I've, been re, I've been consistent with this across the board, they go in households and they only want to talk bad about Rich Paul. To me, that should be the biggest red flag for any family. I don't go in anybody's household and talk bad about nobody. And there's no consequences. But there is a consequence with me. Because when I see you, it's a different tone, it's a different energy. And we're going to have a conversation about it. And whatever that conversation leads to, then it is what it is. But I just look at things different because it's one thing to be in competition and be in business. And may the best man win. That's part of it. It's another thing to do things with malice, to do things with the lack of integrity, to lie, to just tell a blatant, flat out lie. You remember 
Brian, when I first started my business, LeBron owned it. LeBron owns yeah. his business, right? And like, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. But at the end of the day, based upon who I that 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 was so disrespectful because what they're saying is, it's no way that LeBron would sign with this guy without owning his business. But on the reverse side, well, then why would they sign with Jeff Swartz? Or why would they sign with, you know, um, Arn Tellum? Dan Fagan. Dan R.I.P. Fagan. Dan Fagan. You know, may rest in peace. Why would they sign with anybody else, per se? Why would they sign with Rob Palenka? Why? Because they went to college and somebody, like, what, what was the, you know, and, and that's not a slight to those guys. I'm just saying the perception. And it's almost like everything that I'm saying and, and, and advising is being questioned. But everything they're saying and advising is like gospel. And it's such a backwards thing. Um, and so, you know, it's less of that now, but it's not totally out the way. But that's just a psychological um, dysfunction that that we have, unfortunately. To my knowledge, I don't think you've ever lied to me. Um, and What I'm going to lie to you about. I, but like that's the word like as for a reporter, I'd rather you not talk to me than lie, because if you lie, this is one thing I learned early in my career, because if you lie and then I go and report or repeat that lie now, it's our it's my problem. If yes. I can't find out, I'm like, look, I, I can't find out. I'm not going to lie to you, Brian, because you're doing the job. And you have a family. And if I lie to you and you go publicly and say something, it may be of detriment to you so the other that thing that happens yeah the other thing that happens is sometimes i piss you off it's happened in the past it'll happen in the future but and but you've always been all business about this and this and it's not it's not it has nothing to do with me and you but it has to do with how you do business with teams and players i've seen like i've there have been situations where you have a tough negotiation and then you hear like well this team will never do business again with clutch and I'm like, that's a mistake because what you don't know about Rich is like, he'll go 30 rounds with you and leave the ring bloody and, you know, and everything. And then another client has business like two days later and it'll be like the other thing didn't happen. I, as far as I know, as I've seen you operate, that's how you've always operated. Of course. And we know that's false. But again, that's where the, 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 the lack there of integrity, that, that's being positioned. That's a narrative that's being placed. So they can go in families and, and discourage, right? Which is elementary school. If you if you ask any owner, they'll tell you to act. They'll actually tell you the opposite. We'll much rather deal with him because we know we're going to get the truth. You know what Dan Gilbert told me one day? Um, and I hope Dan is feeling is doing doing as best he can. What Dan said to me one day, he goes, "You know, Rich, man, you are a tough son of a bitch, but I love you." And I respect you. He told me that, you know, and this is coming from a man who built Quicken Loans. You know, he built Rocket Mortgage. He's built, you know, so. You've had some some bloody wars with that dude. Yeah, but but when you think about it, when you read the book, I get that from my dad. My dad had to deal with a roller coaster of emotions from any people who just spaz out about anything. He had to stay calm. He had to stay poised. And he had to be able to smile tomorrow with that same person that flipped out today. And that's just how life is. So this, what I'm doing now, again, there's no pressure here. I can show you pressure. You want to talk about pressures in that book. This is not that. There's a couple of stories I, in that book that are pressure filled. Yeah. And I can't, and I can't expect, I'm done trying to expect people to be who I know they're not going to be. I'm, 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 I'm way beyond that. And I'm not just an agent. And I think people get it misconstrued, number one, based upon appearance. Oh, you know, you should be, you should be totally happy just being an agent. The previous agency I came from, that was their mentality. Oh, you should be, you should be delighted that you have a business card and, you don't have a college degree and, and you have a job like really okay well that's what you want to think but i don't think that way but that's that's up to you
So it's all good. Uh, how important was it, uh, your backgrounds being similar to LeBron's to you guys forming a relationship? Did that matter? I think, I think it, I think in terms of relatability, in terms of interest, in terms of being able to uh, be vulnerable with one another and have a shared experience. Yeah, it matters. You know, you, you, you have to, be. that's the reason why in the agent business, that's what created the pay. There's no relatability. I don't know you enough to be able to have a real conversation with you. You don't respect me enough because you don't know. So the only thing I got over you is a financial game or, or is either that, is that in addition to, I'm just going to tell you everything you want to hear all day long. It's going to be yes, 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 and you're the best, and blah, 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 all day long. Those two things built businesses. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Because you, you, both your mothers had Struggle. struggles. Yeah. But and, was real G's, though. Real G's. Yeah. You know? Well, and vitally end up being vitally important to you. Very. Yeah. And both of your neighborhoods ended up you know, shaping you, even though he moved around. But certainly where he was from, I don't know if the Elizabeth park projects compared to glenville but you know that yeah was... listen it's all the same man yes they do it's all the same i've been in elizabeth park i've also been in spring hill i've been down you know temper tops all that in akron yeah. and i'm just like in cleveland yeah no I, one thing about me i respect everywhere i go because at the end of the day you have you saw equalizer three no is that no well when you watch it you know, Denzel, he, he, you know, he, he, he does his whole thing. And it's the little kid. It's the one that shoots him, you know? So you, you learn it. You got to respect everybody. Well, you know? and I'll ask you this, your, your partner, Miss Adkins, you, she has a, uh, I know you'd like to talk about her, but I just want to ask, she has a somewhat similar background and she's from a rough area of London. She had a single parent. Like, I don't know if that matters to you too, because either of you, because again, I'm reading this book. I know LeBron's meager circumstance. I know, uh, just because I've read about it, um, Adele's meager circumstance. I know your meager circumstance. These are two of the most important connections you have. And you all, I know the Tottenham wasn't like Glenville, but I mean, there is some connection. Oh, it's, there. Yeah. yeah, no, Tottenham's bad. No, yeah, you know, uh, again, you're right. I don't like to talk about it personally, but yeah, when you talk about if you want to have an understanding of why this or why that for anybody in my ecosystem, read the book. You have a better understanding. All right. Let me ask you this. What do you want to do? What do you want to be doing in five years? In five years, depending on what month we in, if we're in the month of August, hopefully I'm on the French Riviera relaxing. <laughs> um, no, it just depends, Brian, you know, like, you know me, man. Like I, I'm, I'm a grinder. I'm a grinder. I love what yeah, I. Yeah, you do. did nine hundred million dollars in business this summer, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, I did. Less. Um, and you do know, you want to do this? Like, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, you got a lot of clients you want to do a lot of deals for, but I mean, it's you know, do I, I, I didn't be an agent. A decade ago, I would not have seen you here where you're at. At 
you know, you you're in partnership with this uh, big Hollywood agency. You're on the UTA, board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board of Live Nation. I'm on the board of LACMA. I'm on the board of designer brands. You know, I've I've been able to transition from just being an agent and some people want to call it what they call it a mogul or whatever. I don't I'm not saying that I'll leave that for other people to say. But for me, it's just about continuing to evolve. You know, I don't I don't put a limit on on things I can do. I don't put a ceiling on it. My interests are remain consistent. You know, I want to represent players. I want to continue to be a part of different verticals, uh, build out different verticals of the business. Today, I wake up every day, Brian, I look at companies to buy. Every day, I look at different companies to buy. Uh, in addition to talent, in addition to talking to teams and, um, you, know, you know, second opinions with a guy gets injured and shoot deals and all that stuff. Like, I'm a grinder. I had my best friend in town with me. He goes, man, I thought, I thought, like, I thought my days was busy, like, Man, I don't even know how you do the stuff you do. Like, you're all over the place. And it's because I, I just, my dad worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. You know, people get it misconstrued. They get a perception of me, um, and they don't like my leather jackets when I sit courtside. And, the, you know, the agents, the, the other agents use that as, you know, look, he's arrogant. He's sitting courtside with a, with a, with a leather jacket on. It's like, relax, man. No, it's like that's that's you know, and even at the game, I never cheer. I'm I'm so locked in. That's to true. Different things. That's true. No, I, I just I um, it's been great. Look, you know, launching Clutch Athletics with, in partnership with New Balance. That's a very big deal. That's a very big challenge, and it's, it's something that I'm passionate about and want to grow, which is totally separate from Clutch Sports Group. And we've been doing pretty good, and and it, and it has a great growth opportunity. Um, who would ever thought I would write a book right today? Um, right. Who would, I was at the WNBA game on Sunday, game three, supporting um, our, our, our clients on the aces, um, both coaching staff and, and players. Um, you know, it, it, it never ends for me. But I, but I also I'm not I'm not tired. You know, I, I like to uh, and I'm not bored. You know, I just That's, and I, I believe that I'm not bored. And you know what, Brian? I, I have a different perspective on the business and you're looking at it through the lens of, man, I see guys they everywhere. They had this AAU tournament they had that just they're doing this and doing that. And man, they gotta be, I don't do that. It's okay. Like I understand you're not going to get every client. You're not, I, I want the families and the players that find the relationship valuable. One plus one equal to equal in three, not just me, not just them but us and those are people that I will go to bat for. And that's where I will lay my hat. I'm not trying to chase, you know, 20 guys a year or whatnot. Um, and ranking don't mean nothing to me. Uh, I'm focused on the character, both for the player and the families. I'm focused on, you know, relationship building and respect for one another and things like that. All things that don't normally exist in our business. All right, a few quick hitters before you got to go. What do you do when two clients that you have uh, sometimes don't like each other? I'm specifically talking about like when LeBron and Draymond were at each other's throats. Uh, yeah. Now they're now they're buddies, but at one time they were not fond of each other. How do you handle that? Same way I handle two friends on the block that's at each other's throats. The difference is they just yapping. Over here, it was a lot of other action going on. You know? So... <laughs> It don't it don't bother me at all. Um, that's just it's too it, you know you let men work things out. All right, how do you handle it when a player? Because you've done to do this quite a few times. How do you handle it when a player wants to be traded? Well, I, I think you know you, you got to handle it accordingly. There's there's been situations I've been in in the Anthony Davis situation where. Um, at first, he didn't want to be traded, and then he got to a place of where he wanted to be traded. And, you know, I had to be realistic with him and help him understand, like, just because you want to be traded don't mean it happens tomorrow, right? And then there's situations like I was in with Philadelphia where it probably wasn't the right – well, we know it wasn't the right thing to, to, to be traded with that many years left on your deal, but 
the client at that time felt like he couldn't play back for that organization. So at the end of the day, you you know, you have to make the best out of this, this the situation and try to handle it accordingly. Um, and you guys sit in the fire, you know, there's no, there's no escaping. There's no running from it. And I think in going through that, I mean, you and I talked a lot, everybody understood where things were at. And I, and I, and I know people were like, this is a rich Paul. He's crazy. He's going, he's, burning the house down, this or that. No, it wasn't. I mean, you know, my client at the time felt a certain way. Uh, he understood that it's not going to be easy. You got four years left on your deal. But whatever it was mentally, you know, he couldn't get out of that space where he ever wanted to be back in that realm again. Um, and at that time, that's the space he was in. I'm really happy to see him in a different space today and happy to see him moving well and playing uh, to the capabilities that we all knew he can get, he could actually play and hopefully he's able to develop uh, develop it a little bit better and 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 do well for the team that he's on now so at, at the end of the day you handle it accordingly you know and I've I've David Blitzer and Josh Harris I couldn't be close guys you know uh, as close as you could be with distance in terms of I'm not gonna see her and act like we go on vacations together, but if right. I if I make a phone call, they pick it up or text me back or 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 whatnot, and we have that rapport. So it's business at the end of the day. Right. And just in case nobody people don't know you're talking about, I'll say the name Ben Simmons. Um, what about when you got to do a holdout? You've had a couple of those situations. I know mm-hmm. the word holdout is somewhat sensitive because it, sometimes a player is a free agent, so he's not really holding out. But like, yeah. whenever you have to go into a long stalemate. Were you restricted? Yeah. I think yeah. that's just based on your, your relationship with the player. I think it's important for the family to allow you to do your job. I think it's important for the player. That, that seems to be important is the family because I'm sure that, that not just dealing with the player, but sometimes dealing with the family who – might hear what a player might be able to get and, and why are yeah, no, it? no, yeah. But you but you know, you're you the people what people don't understand is you need them just as much as anything. And the more you can educate them on the, the better things tend to go, right? And for me, again, I can sit out all year long. Tristan was gonna sit out the entire year. I had no problem with that, but it's up to the player trusting you and you guys being being lockstep and that trust comes because you know at that time when you're in a situation like that you know again the 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 the, the vultures of the agent business you know that's when they they sending kites they dressing up in costumes they in the bushes of, of the house and they, they they dress up as the pizza delivery man to deliver a message to try to poach a player you know are you um, making a is that is that you, you telling us like that literally happened, or you're making some sort of. <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, okay. but they okay, will, okay. they could, <laughs> they will, they could. Trust me. No, um, I'm just, I'm just being sarcastic with it. No, uh, but you know, it's at the end of the day, I just have a different perspective on free agency, and I don't have nobody over, over my shoulder telling me what I have to get done. You know, um, so I, I do my, I do my business as I need to. Yeah, because I think one thing most fans, even if they're very savvy, inherently they think about it from the team perspective. I know that there are occasional people who think about it from the player perspective. But yeah, you're fighting a public relate. You're all you're almost always fighting an uphill public relations battle. Yeah, yeah, because you have people that looking at what they make on their job and saying, "Oh, he's greedy. He's this. He's that." But it's not relative. So, you know, you have to look at it through a different lens and have an understanding of value for this player and this organization at this time. And we don't know how long these guys are going to play. And there's a there's a there's a ton of different variables to go with it. All right, Rich. Well, thank you so much for your time. I feel like we're all over the place. Patience and poise, though, B. No, patience and poise is what matters, man. I don't think I've ever seen you not poised. In this world. No, man, this is child's play with these people, man. Like, not, not, and I say that respectfully, not with organization. I'm just saying, like, the peanut gallery, I don't worry about. And in terms of just teams and things like that, it's business. You know, it's, it's, it's like, 
for instance, Daryl Moore and I had a conversation on Tyrese and me and Daryl talking and we're in Vegas. We meet and he's like, damn, Rich, you really broke that down to the exact T. That's exactly what it is. I'm like, yeah, I understand. I educate my client. He understands. And we move on. Like, it's not, it doesn't have to be what people always think it is. I, you know, I can fight with a sword. I can fight with a butter knife. It just depends, you know, however yeah, you want to Right. But in that particular situation, like you've got one player, James Harden, calling Daryl a liar and you've got your client uh, who you've got to say, OK, there's not going to be an extension now. Maybe we're going to go later. Say, OK, we got to trust this organization. So, like, there's always and, different things that happen. But that, you know, that's a, a classic just average day in Rich Paul's life, I would imagine. Yeah. And you know what? If the organization goes away, there's 29 other organizations. So, you, you know, it's like it's fine. I believe in the player and the talent and the professionalism and the character. And so we're eligible for something. We're not entitled for anything. And you just move on, you know? That's the way I've always seen you operate. Well, thank you for your time. Congratulations on the book success. I'll see you down the line. And um, hopefully our next interaction, you're not mad at me. But if you are, we'll get past it. It's all good, B, you know. Hey, man, it's, it's part of the business. So, but I appreciate great, great seeing you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy the season is upon us. I'm looking forward to getting out to some games and seeing seeing some basketball. I think the league is in such a great space, and it's a lot of good young teams. And I'm telling these guys, you can go in these markets and BS around if you want to. You're going to come out of there with a loss, and you might get blown out because there's a lot of talent. You're right about that. You're right yeah. about that. Okay, Rich Paul from Clutch Sports. book is called Lucky Me. By the way, we didn't even explain the title, but you should. No, let me explain the title really quick. Yeah. So yeah. Lucky Me. Again, uh, I was being somewhat sarcastic uh, because, you know, people say, and especially just the, the bots on, on the social media, oh, you had LeBron, you're so lucky. I was extremely lucky for our relationship. But there's a thing called Yao. Everyone talks about, oh, you met LeBron, so this just happened. Well, what about the yards after the catch? So you got to count the yards after the opportunity, right? It's not up to him to position me today how I am. It's up to him if he chose to, which he did, to give an opportunity. It's up to me to run down the field and make the best of the opportunity. So I was being a little sarcastic there, but it's also my favorite Jay-Z record, Lucky Me. And if you ever, you should listen to the song Lucky Me. If you listen to the hook and my favorite, the whole song is great, but the hook and the third verse sums it up for me. You know me, Brian, it's spot on. Uh, there's also a song, uh, no, I'm on, I'm on Veer Off. In addition to that, I was extremely lucky to have the siblings I had, the community I had for good and bad, um, the upbringing I had, how it was, even though my mom struggled or whatnot, it molded me, it shaped me. And then working in my dad's store, I learned customer service, I learned marketing, I learned math, I learned... Um, so many different things. I learned people skills, right? And so I, I was able to have examples of people that once had jobs and fell flat on their face. And my dad educated me on the importance of treating people the right way all the time. Not when they have something for you to gain, not when they have something to, not when they are positioned to deem to be, uh, you know, this big shot. When they up, when they down, when they on their side, when they, any which way, you treat people this way consistently all the time. And in a lot of ways, when you read that book, it saved my life in a lot of ways. And, and when I say that, it's not just a matter of life or death. I'm saying just in terms of decisions that I made in that moment because of how I treated somebody or I may have been somewhere and they had extra eyes on me that I didn't even know that was on me that helped me get to the next board if we're playing the game, you know? And so I value those things. I really do. You receive, the way you sort of sum it up is the trials and tribulations that you went through and survived actually prepared you for what you needed to do. And so you were fortunate. And let me just say this when it comes to fortune with LeBron. I'm one of the boats in the ocean that when, we got, when, when, when the ocean of LeBron went up, I'm one of the boats that rose up. Yeah. You are... Maverick Carter. Maverick is. There's a lot of us. Yeah. A bunch of T head Lou. coaches. 
There's a coaches, yeah. West Will. A bunch Cox. of head coaches, yeah. a bunch of organizations, a bunch, a bunch of, of people made a lot yeah, of money. A bunch of people, yeah. You're damn right. We were all in that ocean, but it doesn't mean that you know uh, we didn't pilot the, the NBA, ship either. Nike, hell a lot, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a busy uh, waterway. All right, thank you, Rich, and uh, thank you for listening to Collective Podcast. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Thank you.